0: When you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. Hi, it's Netta, and I just wanted to remind you at the end of this podcast to head on over to AfterSugarClub.com and to download your simple guide to getting more energy with less sugar. That's AfterSugarClub.com. You'll find a whole bunch of free resources there, AfterSugarClub.com. Let's get going with this week's episode. Today I'm talking with Anna Freling, who is a primal health coach and a high-performance coach and a sugar and food addiction specialist. So Anna, welcome. So great to see you. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how your life was when you were still consuming sugar.
1: Well, um, you know, I wasn't consuming much sugar when I discovered that sugar addiction was a thing for me because I have five autoimmune diseases and my last one that I got diagnosed with was celiac disease. And I'm a recovering addict and I have 32 years clean. So, I was really like I for the past like 11 years, I've either been paleo, primal, keto, or carnivore. So, what was happening was once in a blue moon, like say we went on vacation, we were in the car driving, I would just buy all kinds of crap and just binge. And I would feel like crap, but nothing would stop me. It was like, I've been good for so long. No, 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 you know, I, I deserve this. And then my joints would ache, my face would puff up. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. The, the uh, physical symptoms, the symptoms with my mood, all of it you And know did you
0: know that was coming like did you know yeah, that was coming anyway. and you get that stuff anyway
1: oh yeah yes because um because I wasn't looking at it uh the same way I wasn't taking it seriously I was saying things like I'm a foodie I'm a food junkie I'm a carbaholic, you know, but I just don't eat carbs most of the time. So when I do, it's no big deal. I was doing all this justification and rationalization, you know, and, uh, and looking back at, at nine years clean, I was suicidal and I was eating all, and this is before, um, before I found out about my celiac disease. Well, I was eating carbs all the time. I'm Italian. We were eating You know, I would make homemade Italian bread, homemade pasta from scratch, you know, and I was eating the food pyramid, which is very, you know, 60% carbs and out of a 2000 calorie diet, that's like 1200 calories of carbs a day. And looking back, it was the mood swings, the insulin swings, all of that, that, that hooked my mood that had me feeling Um, You know, these are psychoactive substances. They act on your brain through your insulin, through all kinds of hormones. Fructose acts directly on your dopamine reward center. Now, I didn't know any of this. And one day I'm watching the Sugar Summit, um, Mike Collins, and this is several years ago, and I see Bitten Johnson and I'm like, what? What is this? Why is this lady talking about me? Right? Because she's a recovering alcoholic. And then she found out that sugar was the gateway drug. Right. And every bone in my body heard the truth of what she was saying. And I literally called her that day. And you want to know what she answered? Or I, I emailed her. I don't know what I did, but I got a hold of her and she set up a sugar for me, which is the sugar tool which is an assessment tool based on the ICD-10 11 and the DSM-5 six, because they're in the process of changing it right now. But it's a clinical tool that assesses for addiction built into the sugar. And it's an interview that told my story to me. And when I looked at the graph that Bitten printed out from this sugar interview, and it showed my symptoms from three years old, and it showed that I had less symptoms because of being paleo and this and that, but I was still collecting symptoms, right? And that's really what it's showing is the pattern of how your brain got rewired. It's literally showing you this was your first euphoric recall. This is when it became a problem. One of the questions is like age of onset.
0: Can you, can yeah. you explain us what that is?
1: That means the first time the question goes something like, "What is the, when is the first time you remember craving, like you wanted something so bad. So my first memory of it was I climbed up on the kitchen counter in San Francisco and I was looking over my shoulder. I was three years old to get Johnson's baby aspirin because they tasted like tiny tarts (gasps) because they were that tangy, sour, sweet. And I knew it was medicine and I knew I shouldn't take too many. I remember eating like three of them Looking over my shoulder and almost shaking in fear, but doing it anyway because I was afraid to get caught and that my mom would be really mad at me. (laughs) And so, so it was. It's the the question is like you're the first time you remember, you know, having to have something, wanting more, wanting something. And so I told my mom. I said, "My God, mom, can you believe I did that?" And she said to me, "You know what, honey?" She goes. Um, I didn't breastfeed you. You were nursed because back then they just shot you with some injection, you know, and wrapped your breast so you didn't produce milk. Like it wasn't in vogue to nurse. And so, um, so they dried up her milk, you know, and then she said, my first, my baby food that I had to have was carrots and I would cry unless I got carrots. And at one point she thought I had jaundice and it was really the carotene and the carrots had discolored my skin. And she took me to the pediatrician because my skin color changed and carrots are one of the sweetest baby foods that there is yeah so I think I was literally from birth addicted to carbohydrates
0: and of course your mother like pretty much all mothers with all the best intentions I mean she wasn't out to make you into a sugar addict and, and actually, breast milk is one of the sweetest foods there, there is, but it's got all the other good stuff wrapped up in it. And once we're weaned, whether it's from breast milk or, or formula, I mean, we don't need all that sweetness anymore. We
1: don't need it. But biologically speaking, that sweet keeps us alive, right? And it starts on the tip of our tongue. And we know that any ripe fruit is not toxic. It's not poisonous at all. So sweet also means safe, and it and it meant survival. So I'm a primal health coach trained through Mark Sisson as well. Besides being trained through Bittens program and being on staff with her, and I'm also a high performance coach, and I'm also trained as a keto carnivore coach through Craig and Marie Emmerich. But the primal part of it, you know, this is our brains wiring for survival, and so. Bitten likes to say that, you know, we have a very special brain, we addicts. We're so hardwired for survival that all of these artificial things, right? That we have chronic exposure and early exposure to rewire the brain because neurons that fire together wire together. So that's what's happening. And and our brain, our our prehistoric part of our brain, it doesn't know, that reptilian brain doesn't know that we have 24-7 access to these foods that our ancestors wouldn't have recognized as foods to begin with. So the guilt and shame that goes along with being an addict, in my mind today, is absolutely ridiculous. If you have a broken brain, your brain is an organ, first of all. It is not a moral dilemma that you crave. It is actually your neurons fired together and wired together. And it's part of the whole survival thing. So you cannot willpower your way. You can't outsmart your body. You have to stop eating the things you know affect you in order to start the process of healing with the brain. You wouldn't keep, you know, you wouldn't like break your arm and keep taking your cast off and checking to see if it was, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? Like you would let your arm heal, but yeah. something about us says there's something wrong with me. Like an addict will say, I can't stop eating. Uh, a non-addict will say, um, I'm eating too much. So an addict always says something's wrong with me because deep inside they know something's not right. Something's broken.
0: And so, yeah, that is really powerful because we do tend to, I mean, can you imagine any other type of uh, illness or the unbalanced whatever, you know, where we say it's my fault?
1: Mental illness. People blame themselves for mental illness all the time, which is probably undiagnosed, partially undiagnosed um, sugar addiction. You know, and I say diagnose be. loosely because we can only assess for it because it's not considered a real um, problem yet. It's not recognized yeah. by medicine. Not yet. It will be, it will be.
0: It will be, yes, I have high hopes for that. But I mean, anything to do with the brain, it like mental illness and, and I went through depression and was medicated for it and thought that it was some kind of weakness on my part that I couldn't pull myself together. I would never have said that about, let's say, if I broke my arm. You know,
1: even that, even that saying, "Pull yourself together, woman. Pull yourself together, man." You know, well, just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You know, here's the here's the thing, okay? Um, the food companies, for one, don't want you to know that sugar is psychoactive. In fact, you know, sugar is twenty times more addictive than cigarettes. And cigarettes really became more addictive when they added sugar to them in the early part of of the 20th century. And you can read things like this in Gary Taub's book uh, about sugar. I can't remember exactly what it's called. Uh, The case against sugar, I think is what it's called. And he goes through the whole history because tobacco was so harsh, adding that little bit of sweetness. And there are lots of additives in cigarettes. Why? Because they wanna get you hooked. And then the cigarette companies bought into the snack food companies and they did the same kind of advertising and the same kind of thing. They put additives into food to keep you hooked. Even things like, so when you get rid of processed foods, grains, things like that, you get rid of all of your sugars, all of your grains, all your seed oils, that really takes all the packaged foods off of the off of the table. And in those packaged foods are other things that are addictive that we don't even think of as addictive, like MSG is very addictive. And we know this, if you look at the science, it is. So, so these, uh, putting the fat, the salt, the sugar together and making super- um, ultra palatable foods you know uh, our brain's dopamine reward center gets worn out like we can't be in a state it's an exi- it's an excitement driven kind of part of your brain and we can't be that excited all the time so it down regulates and our receptors down regulate and then we have this inability to feel that kind of we're supposed to have dopamine rewards we really are but not have that hit that that system gets worn out and we get resistance. And that's where you need more, different, better, right? And you're constantly looking for that concoction or you're, you're watching the food channel 24 seven, or you have every cookbook under the sun yeah. or you're combining flavors and you're, well, I need to add this to the menu tonight too. Then it'll be good. You know? And then
0: real foods start seeming boring and bland and it's not enough and you've got to put some condiment and some sauce and some dressing. And it's like what you're tasting is all these industrially concocted things and not the food themselves. Cause you, I mean, that was my case. When I stopped sugar, my food tasted bland at first. Before I start tasting
1: about the food companies doing the bliss point thing, right? So they so they hire these people to find the bliss point. And you know, that turned the Dr. Pepper company around with their vanilla Dr. Pepper, I believe it was, they were going bankrupt and this man, you know, figured out the bliss point for this one soda and it turned the company around and you have companies that say, bet you can't eat just one, right? Well, they're not even, they're not And you're like laughing, ha, ha ha, yeah, they're so good. Like it's a joke. Meanwhile, you know, your blood sugar is elevated, you're insulin resistant. Um, You're experiencing hypoglycemia and you think you're healthy because you're thin, but really you're experiencing disease changes long before you're diagnosed with diseases and it's really, it's it costs our society so much money. Like the amount of money we spend on metabolic syndrome is astronomical. And we have little kids walking around with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which was not even a diagnosis until after we had our food pyramid. And after we were told to snack every couple of hours to keep our blood sugar level and don't eat fats because they're criminal. Well, how are you supposed to... Um, how are you supposed to get through a day without being hungry if you don't eat things that keep you satiated, that keep you feeling full? So fat, we know, is a lever that can make you feel full, and it's also the building block of a healthy brain. It's cholesterol is what your brain is made out of. There's cholesterol in breast milk, and yet... It's been vilified and now the American Heart Association says there is no link between cholesterol and heart disease. And my husband is an interventional cardiologist. So I've read the articles in JAMA, yet this year they came out with our new food guidelines and they still recommended that this harmless, in fact, I don't even wanna say harmless, food source, it's actually a nutritious food source that healthy hormones are made out of, they still said limit cholesterol. Is that because of lobbying? Uh, oh, I'm sure. And also, you know, the whole Ansel Keys, if you go back in history and you look how it, how he cherry picked a lot of his science and, you know, um, and that kind of thing. And you look at the sugar industry and you look at the behind the scenes hand that they've had in uh, framing what we should eat, how much we should eat, fitting in, you know, they, they, they are the moderation messengers. They say we should be able to eat all things in moderation and, and restricting is a horrible thing to do. Well, you know what? I think restricting is horrible if you're punishing yourself. I think it's horrible if you're um, restricting because you can't stop binging on these foods. But I think it, these are not foods. These have no nutritional value and no nutritional density, and they're causing you to eat more. So they're telling you, keep eating the things that are causing you problems. And by the way, it's your fault if you can't moderate those things. If you can't just eat a serving size, that has nothing to do with us. We gave you all the information you need to do this. And then you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you know what, you need to, you need to move more and eat less. You've got to do that. And then you have the diet industry saying the same thing and their $700 billion um, industry, which we call a revolving door industry for a reason. And every time a woman goes on a diet, they will gain more weight back because they mess with with their natural biology. They literally change their metabolism, which is in your DNA. That is in your DNA and it's in your muscles. And so you lose muscle when you diet, when you restrict calories. This is not a good thing. You want to gain muscle and lose fat. And you can do that by eating fat and eating protein and eating, you know, real carbohydrates and mostly lower carb items like above ground vegetables. That's the basis of a, of a proper human diet.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally agree with everything you just said. And I, I think we wouldn't have all this weight loss we wouldn't need to lose so much weight if we didn't have food available that made us put on so much weight because if you go back to before the 50s there weren't obesity just wasn't a thing
1: i was a kid in the 70s i started high school in 1979 and i don't remember having one heavy kid in my whole high school and my high school was really large i lived in the san francisco bay area And so I know we had, you know, over 2,500 kids in my school. And I remember like maybe one or two chubby kids, they'd be called chubby now. Back then we called them fat, you know, But, but we have such obese kids now that even on commercials, they're represented because more people are obese than normal size now. And really it's not about weight. It's not about a number on the scale. It's about... You know, um, where are you carrying your fat? What are your health markers? Because someone that's a little, you don't have to be super thin to be healthy. In fact, super thin people can be fat on the inside. That was my case. Right. Or you could be, you know, you could be um, one of those people that has an endless capacity to gain body fat that's on the outside and you, you never gain the visceral fat. So those are kind of anomalies But for the most part, if you, if your middle is bigger than half your height, you're in trouble. You're, you're, you can just take a piece of string and measure your height. And if you can't double that string and fit it around your waist, you might have a problem, a metabolic problem. That's a better predictor of metabolic health than the number on a scale any day, because fat is much bigger than muscle. It's about three times the size of the same amount of muscle. So um, body composition is more important than BMI all day, every day.
0: And so, yeah, and so like over and above the whole issue of weight and obesity, there's, for me at least, cause I never had a weight problem. Mm-hmm. It's the relationship with these types of foods and the, the need for them, This, this, behavioral kind of relationship where you just can't say no you can't eat just one and and as you say it's marketed as a good thing but actually it's totally negative all across the board like we we shouldn't be having this type of relationship with so-called foods where we cannot eat just one where we cannot stop
1: if you look at it as you know the gateway drug because that's the first thing we do right as we eat like as soon as we're born, the first thing they want to do if you're a nursing baby is get you to latch on. It's an emergency. We need to eat to survive. So food and sugar addiction is the hardest to treat addiction that there is. Because if you clean up from heroin or meth or alcohol, nobody's going to say, Netta come on, you can just you can just shoot up a little dope this weekend. It's the weekend, you can stop anytime you want. But if you know that you are a sugar addict, and this is why I love the sugar tool because beyond a shadow of a doubt, you will know and you will start looking, observing yourself instead of being a critic. Because you can't blame yourself for something that happened when you were three years old. Was I a bad person when I was three when I climbed up on that cabinet to get those? No my brain was hooked. Okay. That's what was wrong. Yeah. So my brain was hooked and it was looking for a fix already. And so, you know, this primal need, and then you add artificial things that our human brain does not understand and has n- was never exposed to prehistorically. Now we have drugs around us 24 seven. I call them drug foods. And we not only have drug foods, but we have cues to eat them. And we have food pushers, I call them. And one of the biggest excuses I get is I don't have any support. My family won't support me. They won't help me. And I want to say to those of you that are sugar addicted, so what? Hmm. Why do you want to let that stop you? When I stopped depending on other people to help me I started getting better. I found my own help. I found my own tribe. I found other people that uh, that understand what I'm going through, you know. And so I literally had um, golden chocolate bunnies sitting on this table I'm sitting at right now, all Easter, and there's still chocolate bunnies in my in my refrigerator because my family doesn't have a problem. I have a problem. It's not their problem. And I think something in our, we get like a little victim minded about addiction and we're, we aren't a victim of people. We're a victim of processed foods. We're a victim of our own very special wiring. I'm convinced that we kept the human race alive because we have the extra sensitive reward center that would have been, let's get up and go you know, hunt and fish and gather. And we would have been like, let's do it. And so we're the reason the human race survives. So I don't feel like I'm a victim. I feel like I am I have a very special brain and my brain requires special fuel. It requires rocket fuel. I'm a Ferrari and I'm gonna put the right fuel in my tank today, no matter what's going on around me. I do not make excuses that my family has this and my family wants that. I don't. Now. Uh, I have the experience of, you know, 32 years clean, which was helpful for me too. So, and I also think there's a way to talk to people, you know, um, to say, because, okay, so you've gone on this diet, you've bought that program and it's never worked and your family's been watching you and they've seen you go up and down and all around and trying measuring and weighing and having meals delivered and this and that, how is this gonna be any different kind of thing? You know, but I think it's, I think there's a way to approach your family to ask for help that isn't a demand. You know, that says, um, I'm gonna try just for today not to eat these certain foods because I I lose control over them. And you could point out a few times where, you know, when we go to the movies and I eat all my candy and I eat yours and I never share mine, that kind of thing. I've got to, I I just need you to help me do that. So can we agree to just lock up all of the the treats or you guys have a special shelf for now, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I might mess up along the road, but this is something I really, I would love your support. Yeah, you know, and just say it nicer instead of you guys have to get rid of all of your junk because I no, no no you know, and, and be so demanding. Like, I think part of recovery is like growing up.
0: Yes, I, I tend to agree. And, you know, just taking myself as an example, that's what I had to do. I had to grow up and own my own situation, my own brain, not not start to you know make myself feel bad about it or guilt trip myself about it I don't think that's very grown up it was recognize it name it own it and then take care of yourself don't wait around for somebody else even people who love you and your family you can't wait around passively for other people to do that work for you
1: right if I have a broken arm I'm going to go get treated for my broken arm So excuse me, I have a broken brain, I'm going to do things I need to do. And I think people focus too. like, like we talked about weight and weight was never a huge issue with me it was because of prednisone for a while and I, you know, I had no choice and of course that increases your cortisol and your insulin and your blood sugar and everything and you're gonna gain there's nothing you can do. So, you know, I've had my, my little struggles here and there, but nothing like some people that I know who have, you know, gained and lost 40, 50, 60, 70, hundred pounds over and over and over again.
0: Yes, yes. You know, and, and I've he-
1: seen, seen people that suffer like that and, and people like that wanna make it about the weight and the number on the scale, but I'll tell you what, you retrain the brain, you heal the brain and the body will follow, you heal those hormones and you heal and it will work effortlessly, like nothing else you have ever done in your life. You don't need to weigh and measure, you don't need to restrict. In the beginning, especially, you should be eating plenty of protein and plenty of fat to heal your brain because it will heal your brain, it'll heal your leptin so that you can hear that signal, I'm full. If you restrict in the beginning, like like it's a diet, that's how come your leptin doesn't work to begin with because you've been restricting too many times. So people, people like if they can like just say to themselves what I've done over time and distance has never worked then ask yourself why should another diet work for me you know it won't because diets are restrictive and diets are based on the calorie in calorie out model so why not try something new Why not give it 21 days and see what happens with your body? There are changes that will take place inside of you that you can tell, okay, my mood is better after a week. You know, I have more energy from morning till night. I don't feel hangry. You know, I don't feel quite so emotional. These are clues that changes are having happening inside of your body as you get through the withdrawals, which some people experience yeah
0: certainly yes but they're temporary they're They're temporary temporary. and not everybody experiences them
1: yeah and if you go through them once you never have to go through them again you never ever have to do that again and and once you start like noticing other things and just stay off of the scale maybe take a measurement around your middle and just have that be your guide Mm -hmm. and see what changes in 21 days and, yeah. you know, that can give you the impetus to continue on, you know.
0: Now, I mean, you're you're an expert in all of this with all of your training. And, you know, I, I can follow along because I know the terms and the concepts that you've been mentioning. But if someone were coming in with just the very, very recent awareness that sugar's got something to do with how crappy they're feeling, <laughs> um, then what what can you what can they do? like they don't even know about insulin. they don't know about right. insulin, you know this is a, like a whole new world, and you can't excuse the pun, but you can't necessarily digest all of this when you're just
1: no, you can't. you have a foggy brain. and so um like like with Sugar X Global, which is the company I'm with with um with David Wolf and Judy Wolf, uh, we're gonna be running a five day. Uh, crush your cravings challenge where we give you the tools including how to tell the difference between a craving and a cue right because a cue could be something inside of yourself or outside of yourself like a cue could be like every time I walk in the door from work I grab a x y and z right so walking in the door is your cue and then your habit or your custom is to go and get that thing and there's consequences to that right well, then you can't stop and, and you eat the whole thing and then you replace the thing so your family doesn't know and then you sit then you're, you feel sick, but you eat supper anyway, because you don't want anybody to know what you've done. And so all of these consequences right so then we say so now we know what the cue is what's a new custom that you can put into that place so it's very important to learn to stop and stay stopped in the beginning. But then it's important to learn about biochemical repair. So you understand it's get out of the food. Food is 5 to 10% of the problem. Once you stop eating, you have to learn it. We know more about our cell phones than we know about our bodies. It's time to learn about your body. And so at SugarX Global, we're going to have a nine-week course for people. We call it Kiss Sugar Goodbye, and that means Keep It Simple System and it's going to be interactive because we believe in getting on the bike and riding it not just learning about the bike and a lot of people know a lot of this stuff but they don't put it into practice and practice makes progress and honestly change means practice if you want to change you have to practice and that's all there is to it. And so having a group or a support group that you can practice in, we're gonna have a village that you can belong to uh, and we're gonna have regularly scheduled meetings where we talk about not just uh, staying stopped. And I don't like to to say abstinent, I don't like that word. I say, don't use foods that trigger you, right? Don't use. And I think that's easier to say because abstinence sounds like some kind of monk or something and I'm not asking people to not enjoy their food or their meal. I'm not asking them to to, uh, do that. I'm asking them to put down the drug foods, stop using things that are hurting you and start noticing what's harming you and so that you can find your own craving free food plan, right? And once you've done that, then let's talk about breathing. Let's talk about sleep. Let's talk about um, creativity. Let's talk about life on life's terms. Let's talk about things are going to happen and how are you going to handle them and and stay out of the drug foods. And so so, um, one thing that's, I think, nice about having a community that's not necessarily a 12 step community is we can talk about the brain. We can talk about rewiring the brain. We can talk about science and we can learn more and we can learn how to apply those things to our lives. And so I think that, you know, there are so many options out there and so many different people out there like you, Um, the Food Junkies podcast is great too, you know, Vera Charman's book. This is a wide open space.
0: Because we all have the same message. We're not in competition with each other. On the contrary, we're collaborating together to help as many people as we can. And as you say, each one of us has our own voice, our own approach, our own style. And so does everyone out there, right?
1: Exactly. So, you know, um, if I'm not your cup of tea, so what? Talk to me. I'll tell you who's out there. I want to have you, my ultimate goal is to hook people up with what works for them. I I don't want hostages. I only want people to join our village that want to be there. That 100% are like, you know cuz my vibe is let's have some fun let's get creative let's you know let's stop talking about what we can't do and start talking about now that we've got energy what are we going to do with all this energy how are we going to change the world how are we going to get our kids to eat better what you know what what's the latest book you've read that's great and it doesn't have to be science-y,
0: you know Absolutely. Yeah,
1: it could be whatever. I mean, we want to do book clubs. We want to do we want to get out of the food and get into some fun and some living, you know, and, and we believe in each one teach one. So so we want our people to be like a, a ripple, you know, a stone thrown into a puddle and
0: boom, boom, boom,
1: all these rings go out and people's lives are changed.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. We're on the same mission. You know, I love it. I love it because it's like, It's all about helping people, helping them feel great. You know, we tend to think when we're still consuming sugar that you take away the sugar and then life is just dull and boring and monastic. And it's like, no, don't do this to me, which is how I felt. (laughs) But the opposite, the opposite
1: is true. And it's like breaking up with an abusive lover, really. You know, we say that um, a breakthrough sometimes requires a breakup right Mm -hmm. and and so we have to break up with sugar and sugar does Dave talks about this you know he talks about sugar will romance you you'll have debate about it and you'll have guilt and shame about it. So when he talks about like the debate, like he says, you shouldn't eat it if you're debating about it. Should I eat it, should I not eat it? So that's debate, right? And that's kind of like, should I let him back in the house or should I not let him back in the house? Should I get a restraining order? Should I not get a restraining order? Get a restraining order, people, you know? And then the romance part is, oh, I can't wait until later tonight when everybody's in bed so I can eat that ice cream I shoved in the back of the freezer, right? Or you told, and it's just like with the man, I told everybody I'm done with him, but I'm secretly talking to him after everybody goes to bed, even though he's been beating you and hurting you, right? And this is the part where we do things against our own true will for ourselves. That's one of the signs of addiction, right? That even though there's horrible consequences for us, we still do it. Or we do it and then we feel guilty and ashamed. Like, oh my God, why did I do that? you know yeah. why did i let him back i knew what i was going to get and i did it anyway and then we feel that guilt and shame totally
0: totally you nailed it <laughs> you know what you're talking about how can people get in touch with you and get to your five-day challenge
1: well they can go through sugarxglobal.com and we have a coming soon page and they can sign up for our newsletter and uh and that will, they'll, they'll get something about our five day challenge. We're also, we have a Facebook page and, and we do have a, a couple of ads on Facebook right now or they can just reach out to me, you know on any of the social media platforms. You can message me directly. If you're interested, Anna Freeling, F-R-U-E-H-L-I-N-G. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook under Piece of Keto is my, my former business
0: Thank you, Anna. Fantastic talking to you.
1: Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. And I I look forward to doing uh, collaborating with you in the future like we talked about.
0: Yes, definitely. Thank you. Wow, that was an amazing conversation with Anna, who is really an expert in food addiction. So if how she describes food addicts resonates with you, go ahead and join her 5-Day Crush Your Cravings Challenge. It's a free challenge and you can get there by going to 5, that's the number, 5daycrushyourcravingschallenge.com. day I really hope this episode has been helpful for you. And if you've enjoyed it, please scroll down and leave me a positive review. I love reading every single one of them. Thank you. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.